Welcome to Unbreakable Spirit, stories of inspiring and thriving with Jennifer Seven, co-author of a book that is part of the Sisterhood Folios, a number one international bestseller. This is a podcast about real women who've overcome tremendous obstacles and come out on the other side to thrive. Whether their hardships were financial, relational, or health, these women dug deep and found the light out of the dark to rise from the ashes, to find the ability to forgive, to love, and to live an authentic, joyful life. Now, here is your host, Jennifer Seven. Welcome, Unbreakable Spirit listeners, to our latest episode. And I have an amazing guest today. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we're going to jump right into her story. So I am so excited to have Contessa Aiken here with us today. And she's actually an emotional well being coach. She helps women find love and peace in life. Through her signature Phoenix process, she provides a structured journey to sustainable healing. She understands the challenges women face because she's been there herself. And she's going to be sharing some of her story today, which is pretty deep stuff. With over 10 years of experience helping thousands of women overcome their pasts, Contessa is committed to helping you become the best version of yourself so you can feel better too. Welcome, Contessa. So excited to have you here. Oh gosh, I am like hearing all that come out of your mouth. I'm like, wow, I'm I'm kind of cool. (laughs) You're so cool. I like it. Yeah, super, super excited. I I can't wait to hear your story. I I mean, I read a little bit in your bio and wow, I just think you've been through a lot in your life. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to share and that you're doing this great work of helping others. So take us back in time, Contessa, and start (laughs) wherever you want to start in your story. Yeah, I'll go ahead and preface all this with I'm an emotional person, which means, you know, I'm an emotional well-being coach. I'm emotional. So sometimes I may cry. So just, you know, leave space for that for me. Absolutely. Um, But so going back in time, it's always hard to know where to start with my story, really, because ultimately, I, my biological mother did not want me or my younger sister. So at three years old, she left us on the side of a highway here in Dallas. And okay, so this is a bad part of the story, but a fun part of the story. So I'll I'll drop it in there and then I'll circle back around. But so when she left us on the side of the highway, I don't remember much, right? I was just three years old. But I do remember a motorcycle police officer who was on the side of the road with us who had taken us down into the median um, and was giving us like teddy bears and stickers and stuff like that. That's really all I remember about that moment. So that's an important detail for a little bit later on. It'll get okay, but hang on, because I gotta ask. So how old was your sister? Two. So we're wow we're really close in age yeah so two and three years old and I also have a half sister and don't quote me on this but I think she was seven or eight at the time but she she kept her and left us oh lovely Hmm. yeah so and then she did come back into our lives I was six years old and she facilitated rape by a stranger. I didn't know him. She was leaving for work and happened to invite them in. We were there, left us there alone with them for no good reason. Uh, and how old were you then? I was six years old. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my half sister watched the door while it was happening. So oh. I don't, again, your brain is really awesome. <sighs> it does lots of great things to protect you. And in that moment, I don't remember a lot about the moment, but I do remember looking up and seeing her in the doorway, basically like standing guard, if you will. Oh. 
And then let's see, I'll jump forward to nine to 11 years old. I had a stepbrother who loved to play God. So he would stop my breathing and bring me back to life and then sexually assault me. Oh, and um, was he doing that by choking you? Um, so he would do several things. He would like trap me, smother me, things like that. Yeah. So like right now, even my kids, sometimes when we go like to Costco on a weekend, which I avoid at all costs, usually <laughs> I'm like, nope, I can't handle that. I feel trapped. I need to get out of here. I need yeah. to like get to space. So space is like super important to me. So yeah, let's see, where am I at in the store? I'm giving you like cliff notes. Yeah, because there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. I actually was kicked out of my house when I was 16 years old. I this is the house where you're with your mother still? No. So she only came back into my life when I was six. And then, you know, I went had to go through the whole court process. Okay. The guy I was I was gonna say, how is she even allowed in your life? Yeah, I, I don't really know what happened to her at that time. And I don't know that it was like ever linked that she like helped that helped facilitate oh, that. Um, I, and I don't remember, right. I was six years old. I, I don't remember a lot, even going into the um, police station, but I do remember like bits and pieces. Like I was talking to a detective in the office and I had to go in by myself. And I remember Aww. thinking, I don't want to do this. <laughs> well, I'm just I amazed. In- yeah. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting, but oh, I'm just fine. amazed. She didn't end up in jail from abandoning you on the street. Yeah. There's lots there. Yeah. Right. For sure. <laughs> Um, but in the police station, right, I remember going into the room, not wanting to by myself. And there was the detective there. And I remember only being able to see like his tie and his belt, like that area there. Yeah. Because like, no you were so little. Nobody. Yeah. There was two pictures there because there were two, two men in the apartment at the time. And I remember him asking me just point to the one who, who did harm. And I just remember standing there like holding my finger, like biting on my finger, not wanting to point to the picture. I felt so responsible for the bad oh. things that were going to happen to him as a result. Right. Yeah. I, you know, my young brain at that time, it's such a beautiful thing, but I did point to the picture and I remember my finger just kind of fell on it really heavily. And I felt so incredibly guilty and probably uh, scared. Right. Was, Cause like, what's, I don't happen? remember feeling scared, but I felt, I felt like I felt this responsibility like I was the one that got him in trouble Mm, mm -hmm. and then I felt guilty for being that person Mm. and then guilt was something that really ruled my life for 40 years after that we can talk about that later if you want to but yeah (laughs) so okay I gotta ask so so at that point were you in foster care because no so my biological dad was a truck driver and so he had he just wasn't in town at that time or whatever I don't I don't know the circumstances but had come and picked us up and I have a, a paternal grandparent who would take care of us and then he also remarried so I had a stepmother after that and okay. he was pretty na- nasty as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She used to chase me around with scissors and threaten to cut my hair. And <laughs> You have to wear this long skirt to school so that your friends will reject you instead of wearing the like in clothes or whatever. Yeah. Like she was, she was kind of nasty. Yeah. Sounds like it says that was her way of humiliating you uh, and sending you off to school that way. Yeah. Which was always fun because all of this, like I'm super rebellious. So, and I of course made friends with a super rebellious crowd. So they always had clothes for me. So (laughs) yay! ever showed up in a long skirt, they were like, here's some pants. Here's some shirts. Like they always had a stock. They had your back. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, let's see. Where am I in that story? Okay, wait. Let, let, let me back yeah, up so go, that I can just make it. sure I've got this. So, yeah. so you're six years old. You had this horrible rape happen to you. And yeah. this is while you're in your dad's home or you're in your... So I'm in his care and custody. So we were just visiting her. Okay. So visiting. And mm-hmm. then, so how did that end up getting reported? I mean, cause well, you're because you're six, right? Cause I yeah, think- my body showed the, the signs of that. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm my sure brain still super protect- protective. So I just remember this, my stepmother at the time had pulled me aside and had asked me like where the blood came from, from my clothing, that kind of <sighs> stuff. And I, I remember even still feeling like super jittery, like my body was still in a state of shock at that point. And so that, she asked okay. me if anybody had hurt me and I just simply said yes and then it kind of took off from there but yeah actually damage to my bladder had happened so I had to have mm. surgery on my bladder shortly thereafter which still causes me problems to today like, mm. so yeah. I literally just went to the hospital today to have you know just another checkup for my oh. bladder but yeah. yeah a lot of trauma a lot of physical trauma yeah, a lot of as well as the emotional. Okay, right. so he, so you have to go to the police station. You have to report him. Does he go to jail? This guy? Yeah, as far as I know, he did go to jail. Okay, there's there's some some justice in that. Okay, so then you're still in the house with your stepmom, and then you've got the stepbrother situation, right? Which is terrible and horrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they they called me a fighter, right? So everything I did was all about fighting, fighting back. I fought. I fought kids at school. I, I, you know, kids would be walking down the street and I would start a fight with them. Like I was a really, really angry little girl because of it all. When I look back now, I would have never said I'm angry because of that stuff. I just, I just knew I was angry Mm -hmm. and I was always in this perpetual state of there was danger that was going to come for me. So you had to be in that fight fight yeah. uh not flight fight or mode. freeze you were in the fight I mode was fight, in the fight mode yeah for sure okay yeah. Yeah. I went in the military look we're gonna fast forward I guess a little okay bit. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm 17 now and I would go in the military this is like crazy ridiculous right I'm 17 which is you got to have parent permission to go into the military at 17. Okay. And my dad is like heck yes yep, yep, <laughs> whatever <laughs> under control whatever and then they had to go find my biological mother to get her permission. I was oh, like, really? Both parents oh, had to. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. In my life. So why would she need to give permission? Whatever. But yeah. she did. She could have totally held me back, but she didn't. Um, not in that instance anyway. <laughs> yeah. I was a jet engine mechanic on F-15s and F-16s. Wow. So it's kind of fun like to see... I say fun, but it's probably not really fun. But I gravitated and felt more secure and safe around men versus women. And so I chose, you know, going into this field that's completely male dominated. At one point, I was the only female on the flight line working on these airplanes. And I had a great time doing it. But I also was in this place where I was tapping into this masculine energy of myself where Mm -hmm. I'm gonna like, I'm like ready for a fight that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus the softness and the femininity. So none of those men better mess with you, right? (laughs) I will, I will punch them. I will push back. I will fight. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then I got out of the military. I met my husband. So here's where the, the circle comes around. My husband, when I met him, was a motorcycle police officer. 
Wow. Yeah, it gets better, right? Right. So he's a motorcycle police officer, right? At three years old, motorcycle police officer is who's taking care of me. But we realized when I took him home to visit my parents, my dad and my stepmom, they were telling stories. They like to tell stories about how bad of a kid I was, right? Because I was rebellious. And so he recalled an incident where he picked up a cute little 15-year-old teenage girl on the side of the road who had just fought her stepmother and was running away. It was me. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was his first police station fresh out of the academy. I was like one of the first interactions with the public. So it stood out to him because it was like one of the first for him. Wow. That Well, that is... What do they call that? Um, not Serendipid- a coincidence. Sorry, I was going to yeah. say serendipitous. <laughs> yeah. There, synchronicity there. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he had arrested me at that time, and we've never had any contact after that. I went in the military, lived in Japan, moved around California before I moved back home, and then met him when I was working at a motorcycle shop. A so, motorcycle shop. You were really yeah. into this mechanical got, stuff. Yes, I love it. I still love it. <laughs> yeah. So, so how many years had gone by since that fifteen-year-old? I, I think we met in uh, two thousand, two thousand and one. So, not knowing how old you are, that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. Let's do the math. <laughs> I'm forty-five now. <laughs> I'm not good at public math. So. In my early 20s. Okay. Okay. So maybe seven years or so or eight years from that 15 year old to 10 years. Okay. I was just wondering, because that's, that's, that's really amazing. Yeah. And yeah. So every time I get mad at him, I'm like, clearly I can't stay mad at him for long because (laughs) he keeps coming into my life (laughs) as a person who saves you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So we actually got together and because of the rape, I was told I would never be able to get pregnant. Oh no. I got pregnant and I was in a state of shock because okay. I thought I could never, that would never happen to me. So I'd already wrote off that that was even a possibility that I would never be a mom. I never even seen myself as a mom. I never even thought about what I wanted to be, like what that identity would actually be like, because I just knew what I didn't want to because I didn't have to worry about it. Right. I wasn't going to have kids. So why not? Why even think about it? Why even think about it? So I had my son who's 18 now. He's at Texas Tech. Um, (laughs) I had him four months later. I was pregnant again with my Wow. Yes. (laughs) So I was quick (laughs) being told I would never be able to have kids to bam, bam. I'm having back-to-back babies. But they call those Uh, Irish twins, right? (laughs) My sister, me and my sister are the same. My birthday is July 15th. Hers is July 20th. So we're a year and seven days apart. My kids are a year and a month apart. Oh. <laughs> so it runs in the family. So then I daughter, she's 17. She's going to college next year. Love her. Oh. I was not pregnant for about five months and I got pregnant again. Oh, yeah. For the third time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Dude, uh, is there such a thing as Irish triplets? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, um, that baby is not with us. Um, oh, I'm sorry. So they, um, he left this physical world and didn't get a chance to grow up with us. So there's an, you know, another point of trauma there, but basically at that point I was at rock bottom. I am suicidal. I don't even know how to live. I don't even know who to be. This is when they're babies. Yes. You have the babies, which maybe a little bit of post, uh, Postpartum as well, right. but all this stuff all in your whole life stacked up on top of each other. And now I'm just pretty much at rock bottom and I'm suicidal and I don't even know how to carry on a life. 
Like, and you know, what, what just strikes me in this is something about being a mom, because it was your mom that left you. I mean, you probably worked through all of this, but I'm just like, yeah, I have now, but at the time I had not. Right. No, I know. (laughs) And I'm just thinking all of that, all of a sudden you've got children, you have to deal with it. And you Mm -hmm. weren't ever really parented. Right. Right. And now I've got two babies that are completely dependent on me. And Mm. I don't know. I don't even know what the heck to do or who I am or how to, how to do anything. And so I was suicidal. I was actually two weeks away from taking my own life. I had a plan. I pretty much was just preparing the husband to take care of the kids um, and make sure that he understood what was happening. And then one day he sat next to me with handed me the phone and it was suicide crisis hotline. And I was so mad at him. Mm. <laughs> I was, Because once again, he's stepping in to save you. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, you know, to get to the place of suicide, um, to have that plan, I really had told myself that I was invisible, that everybody would be better off without me. Nobody knew what was going on. I was concealing it well enough, but obviously I wasn't because he still seen me. So Mm -hmm. I was really angry because he was challenging the story that I had Uh and I needed that story to follow through with my plan. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really angry. I don't remember what the suicide crisis lady said to me. I only remember one question that she asked, and that was, what is your plan? And I remember this battle that I was having in my mind at that moment. Literally, I had one baby on one leg and one baby had just pulled herself up on my other leg. And I'm on the phone with a lady asking me, what's my plan? And I don't want to tell her. Right. She's going to tell him and then he's going to take away my plan. And yeah. So in that moment, like I was having that battle, but then underneath, I felt like a different battle was happening. I was saying, yes, I was having a plan to, yes, I'm doing this or no, I don't have a plan. If I tell her that, then I'm going to have to make some different choices. So I was like, actually felt like in that moment, I was being forced to make the real decision. Wow. And I said, no, I'm here. Obviously we're talking, (laughs) but then started the journey, like climbing out of this deep, dark hole that I found myself in. So yeah, here we are. (laughs) Yeah. So, so how did you dig yourself out? Yeah. So from that place, it was really it was really hard. And it was like, I felt like every moment of every day was a claw. Like I was like, like through mud and murk. And it felt like just this really giant force to propel myself forward. And it took a great deal of effort energy and energy, right? Because depression is like that, right? Yeah. And plus I'm taking care of two babies and Mm. like, all my energy really went to them and I wasn't saving any for myself. And yeah, so it felt like this really heavy, like trudge forward that never felt like I was really gaining any momentum. Um, And so I just kept reminding myself that I said, no, that was the first thing (laughs) that I kept doing. So you, for some reason, you felt like you had to honor that. No. Yeah. Integrity is one of my most important core values. Oh, wow. So um, yeah, because I said, no, I had to like live up to that. Right. But But I didn't know what to do with my life. Right. Just because I said, no, didn't mean I had all the answers all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So I, I began starting, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but I started to go into, you know, those like free seminars for like real estate or investments or whatever. I yeah. wasn't going there to actually get involved, but I was going there just to hear something different okay. other than the chatter that was happening in my own brain. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just started hearing different things, interacting with different people. And ultimately I did like 
what did I do? Oh, I started like one of those network marketing businesses. Okay. There's a lot Uh of like personal growth that happens inside of those. They're all about like personal growth. And so I got a lot of personal growth from that, but I met a lady there who was like, look, I can see how you're like battling and you're, you're still got depression and all this going on. So I've got something for you. And it just so happened to be a program here in Dallas that Dr. Phil started. And it was all about emotional well-being and just like being able to heal things. So I went through that program and felt super great after that. So I started volunteering there and I started helping other people ultimately. But through that is where I discovered that I do have a natural gift to be able to help people to see their pain more clearly than they can really see it themselves and where it's coming from. And so that's when I started coaching and, mm-hmm. um, and trying to figure out like, what could I do to increase my skill set so that I could really be a support and a transformation change agent ultimately? I know that sounds like super corny, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but to help other people to to come to climb out of their own holes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so at any point did you seek therapy or medication to help you when you were at that really low place? No. And the reason why is because I had already had such a negative experience with therapy that it was never a consideration at that point. It was like all on my own. I was doing it all by myself. Like literally I'm a fighter, right? I was fighting that fight by myself, which ultimately made it take a really long time. Yeah. Um, So was it, were the negative experiences from when you were little, did they put you in like mandatory therapy when you were little? Yeah. And that was not good, not not good for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was never really a good um, experience for me. So I never considered it as a viable option. Mm -hmm. I, I looked for alternative options essentially from, from the moment that I said no. Yeah. I, I find that so fascinating that you were going to these workshops. Like yeah. <laughs> just, but in a way, they they can be very motivational. You mm-hmm. know, they, and yeah, I mean, a, I did always leave there having this sense of like momentum behind uh-huh. it. And it may not have lasted for a long time, but there was always another seminar that I Yeah, did, and that right? it was something. It was yeah. something, right? It was to like, get, yeah, it was like there was this line that I crossed where I was going to them and I was getting the motivation. But once this line crossed where I was like, ooh, now I got to get involved. I was like, oh, okay. yeah, so no. now I'm starting <laughs> to get better. So now those aren't the best place for me because it'd be easy to fall into that on all of them, essentially, because mm-hmm. uh, they're really, really good at sales. Yeah, <laughs> yep, getting you hooked in. <laughs> yeah, which is where I, you know, did join the network marketing company and then found the woman who really helped you. Yes. Yeah. You never know where one, where it's going to come from. Where, yeah. the journey's And, not, and I, do, I guess I want to throw in a caveat here that I'm not against therapy. It was last year. I was just in therapy and on medication, right? Like I, I believe that it definitely has a place and a purpose and can serve you. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just, it's that place in that time. Yeah. That was not your That was choice. not the route that I was taking. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're, you're doing this well-being and this, and found yourself on this journey to becoming a coach. So let's, let's talk about what you do. What do you do as an emotional well-being coach? Oh my gosh. I help women feel better. Yay. (laughs) I imagine that there are a lot of women that need some help there. Yeah. I mean, ultimately what I found when I was looking around and when I was helping people is that I seen how much uh, weight that women carry 
and moms, like if you layer on mom on top of that, then there's an extra added weight to that, right? Like we all have some sort of trauma that we've been through. Like if you, I'm just going to throw out a random number, so don't quote me here, but we're going to say there's 7 billion people on the face of the planet. That means there's 7 billion people who have experienced some sense of trauma. Uh, and to be clear, trauma is just an overwhelming life event, something that overwhelms overwhelms your cope ability to cope or your nervous system, right? So it can be a breakup. It can be, you know, that you set a little kitchen fire in a, a stovetop. <laughs> it can be that you witnessed a car accident, mm. right? Like on some level, every single person has experienced. Okay. So it doesn't mean that it's an earth shattering event. Yeah, It doesn't it have be... to be like all the stuff that I went through. Right. Mm-hmm. It, and and it can be earth shattering to them because it overwhelms their system, right? Mm, like mm-hmm. a car accident can be very overwhelming for somebody, but yeah. it's an indirect trauma. Like for example, on um, the Sandy Hook, when that was happening, my kids were much smaller. I was experiencing indirect trauma at that time because I was feeling so deeply with those parents, right? Yeah. That affecting and overwhelming my own system. Oh, I, I hear it. I totally get that. I mean, with all these mass shootings and mm-hmm. it's very traumatic. And I remember when my, when my kids were little in the DC area, the Washington DC area, we had the sniper. And I don't know if you remember that, but I remember, yeah. these two guys driving around in this car, just randomly shooting people. And it was terrifying, terrifying, yep. terrifying because it was so random mm-hmm. and you never knew where they were going to be. Or, yeah. And it was like, I remember I'm sorry, because I'm getting uh, my own story, but there was a big thing about, we think they're in a white van with ladder racks. And so Mm -hmm. then every Every white white van, van. I'm still like, (laughs) man, they were never in a white van, but that was like the only clue they had at that moment. And I grew up and I'm sure you know this, like every child abductor drives a white van with no windows, right? Like even still today, I will not park next to a white van. No, I I still, it makes my heart beat (laughs) just thinking about that time because we'd get out of the car, we'd go into the mall. And You're always down and run and then yeah. <laughs> look, looking over your shoulder. You never knew. Yeah. And, and, and just one more little trauma for, you know, since we're on the subject was yeah. uh, there was a big fall festival just a couple weekends ago and, and it hadn't been in a big crowd like that since COVID. So mm-hmm. first off, I had a little PTSD from the whole COVID thing, but it was packed and the streets were just full of people. And I looked at my husband, I said, this would be a perfect opportunity for one of those crazy shooters, you know, it is, that would never have gone through my mind, except for what we've been watching and seeing on the news these last few years. So Yes, I get it. Okay, indirect yeah, trauma. Indirect it didn't trauma. happen to me, but it I was still, still like, oh. real traumatic. Yeah. 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 And when we experience trauma, we hold pain from that trauma, unless you know how to process that and let it run its full cycle, right? So most people are stuck at this point of trauma, holding pain. And I can, I just, can walk around and see so clearly how people are holding on to their pain and, and hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's just like this perpetual cycle. And so I just love to be able to step in and especially with women and, and just help them relieve themselves of that pain and process through it completely so that it's no longer a burden. And whenever they unburden themselves from the pain of their past or not so past, then like they can take a deep breath and have space and show up in the way that that's best for them. And I get to get a front row seat to all that. So and get help get them there. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been learning too, that 
these traumas can actually store in our physical body and make yes. us sick. Yeah. Uh, I had a guest on who was sharing that she was very, very <laughs> sick. And it, some of this was, she had autoimmune diseases yeah. and it was just this. So she was really focusing a lot on trauma work to release that out of her body, which yeah, I, I suffered I, from migraines for a long time and um, gut issues and stuff. And it was all from the pain that I was carrying as a result of the trauma that I had been through. Yeah. And I think this is so fascinating and it's, it's kind of, I mean, to me, it's new. I I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't really understand that that's what's happening or that's yeah, what's causing book. it. There's a book. It's called the body keeps score. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was going to look for the author name, but I don't have it off the top of my head. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe get that to me later and I'll put it in the show yes. notes. Yeah. The body keeps more. That'll help. Um, if anybody's curious about that, I'm sure the lady that you talked to probably had some recommendations, but the body keeps score. If you want to know yeah. how your body keeps track of this trauma in your body physically, then that's a great book to start with. To me, it's just, this is fascinating work that's going on. So you have a signature process and it's called the Phoenix process, which first off, I want to know why you called it Phoenix. (laughs) I think I have an idea why, but. (laughs) Yeah, ultimately um, I call it the Phoenix because like I was talking about, especially as women, we tend to hold on to this pain and that manifests in so many different ways. And ultimately, if you think about like the story that I was telling you for myself, I was, I felt like I was in this deep, dark hole, just in this constant state of pain, didn't feel like there was any light at the end of the tunnel. And the process is all about just facing this pain, this aspect long enough to kind of pluck out the work that we do. And we dive into that work, we burn shit to the ground that doesn't serve us. And then the Phoenix part is we rise up out of those ashes, out of that hole with our genuine authenticity, our love, our light, our freedom, our peace, our space. I love space. I know I can't say it enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So it's all about we're we're in this dark hole. So it's about rising up like a beautiful Phoenix out of that. That's what I I was taking from that because I love that idea of the Phoenix rising from the ashes because Mm -hmm. that's what we do. We are down in the depths of of everything and then we find our way out into the light. And that's, I love that that's the work that you do. So just give me an example of, of what this work might look like if someone came to you, you know, what kind of what, what happens? So the very first place that we start with is establishing safety. So what I find is most people don't even know what safety is, looks like, or feels like, because there's been this trauma And so we're just on guard or in a state of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, right? And so you don't really know what safety looks like. So we start with establishing a sense of safety by connecting inwards to our own experience. And then we, the the first thing, I say the first thing, but I guess everything's going to be the first thing. uh, (laughs) Then we do my timeline process and this is where we face it. So we go back kind of like what I just did and go back into my timeline and we are able to pluck out one of those instances that if we heal that, then we can heal a majority of what came after that. Because it, it, what came after happened because of that first event. Not necessarily. Well, I, that's not exactly that, what I mean, but, but just, it tends to be a repeated pattern. Okay. Uh, we, t- so we all have an event that happened, say a traumatic event. So it's like my three-year-old at three years old, I was left on the side of the highway. As a result of that event, I tell myself, or I used to tell myself that I'm disposable. I'm just garbage. I'm unwanted. Oh. 
Okay. And so if you then go through your timeline forward from that, then you'll see that pattern is repeated throughout. And so we go back to the first place it showed up, heal that. And then that takes care of all the stuff that then comes after that. Okay. Um, so you don't have to go through every single you don't little have to go thing. Through, you don't even have to retell your story. You're right. You just, we just need to go through our timeline to go back enough to be able to pluck out that one thing that when we heal that it's like a domino, it takes care of all the other stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, for me, I had several, right. Being abandoned, sexual abuse, rape, things like that, where there was couple of patterns that I was playing out throughout my life. But once I go back and take care of those, then all the stuff that comes after that gets taken down as well. Yeah. And I have heard that from other women on this podcast, that, that repeating of those patterns that don't serve you, but you don't recognize it. Yeah. Cause ultimately, and we'll stick with a three-year-old, right? I'm unwanted. I'm just easily discarded, just a piece of garbage. I was essentially living that out loud through how I engaged with other people, how I treated myself, you know, all that stuff. So it was a pattern, but you wouldn't have necessarily said it's because of that one event, right? Mm -hmm. You just knew that maybe you didn't have good self-care. You wasn't taking care of yourself or you would please people before you would even do anything for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the kind of pattern that we're, we're looking at that shows up that most people don't recognize, but then we attach it to an event and then we heal, heal that event. And how do you go about healing it? So there's lots of different ways. This is kind of like where I have a giant toolbox of tools. So it depends on where someone's at, but oftentimes what we do is we create a physical representation of that event and the pattern and we have that in a physical form to work with versus it being this abstract, we're just mm-hmm. talking about it out here. Um, so kind of think about like play therapy for kids, right? Except for we're grown up. Yeah. <laughs> and so we take that and we really make it a physical re- representation of that event. And then. Okay. Tell, but you've got to give me an example, like oh my God. what kind of physical uh, thing, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like Play-Doh so, or a clay? No, or- so like, for example, um, being a piece of garbage. So I took literally a trash bag and then I was filling it up with all the stuff that I was doing to continue to play that pattern out. So anytime I didn't take care of myself, I would put something in the garbage to remind myself that I just played that pattern out again. Right. Okay. Um, and so then you get to this place where you're like, I've had, i I'm dealing with this physical representation. I can't ignore it anymore. Not like okay. you your thoughts or your emotions. Right. I can't ignore it anymore. I'm ready to do something with it. And then, so some people like to burn stuff. Mm. I'm a big fan of fire. I also, uh, me too. I, I think that's just such a, <laughs> I love fire. Yeah. In a good way. Yes. So I've had some people create like little, um, you know, makeshift boats and set them on sale on lakes or rivers, things like that, burying them, just being able to then you're ready to release it. Mm -hmm. You put it in, you kind of do that in the way that's best for you. So it's kind of a personalized. um, Yeah. Kind of releasing it out into the universe or to the earth or to the sea or to the fire, to the ethers. Yeah. yeah. And then you fill yourself up with the truth. Like for me, I am totally worthy. So then I work now on what does worthiness mean to me? What does it look like? How can I engage with that every day? And then kind of building that new pattern in. Mm -hmm. That's so one the, way we do yeah. a lot of stuff, but that's yeah. just one way. we do memory reconsolidation stuff. We language patterns. Yeah. Empowerment work. We do all kinds of stuff. That's just one good example. That is so interesting. And how long usually 
is the process. And I'm sure it's very individual, but it is very individual. So I've had some people come in and complete the process, say in four months. I think the earliest somebody did it was about four months and somebody took about three years. So wow. it's a very personalized journey. Yeah. And that's why we also build in the other stuff like the memory reconsolidation. We do nervous system work, empowerment work so that you are also like baby stepping your way to the sustainability part of all of this. Cause what I found is there's a lot of things out there that are for healing and you go through it and it seems kind of quick. And then, you know, six months later, basically you're back to doing the same old stuff again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily. It didn't really. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just fascinated. So what is memory reconsolidation? Yeah. So I was just explaining this with my daughter just the other day. So you think about your traumatic events, you have an event, you have a me- uh, the memory associated with the event and the emotion that anchors that in. Okay. So think about like a, like a fishing net. All of those connection points are made up of memories and emotions, okay. memories and emotions, memories and emotions. And so kind of like what I was talking about, where we go back in our timeline, you're taking one of those memories and the emotion associated with that, and you're healing that. And so when you do that, it's like a, a trickle down effect. It also kind of reconsolidates the memory so that you can have a, a different memory, if you will, to work off of so that it creates a different emotion so that it no longer impacts you in the same way. So it's no longer causing you that trauma. Right. So it doesn't trigger you anymore. Yeah. So it's just another technique. And then what about the nervous system work? I'm curious about that too. We do all kinds of nervous system work. We mainly work with the vagus nerve. It's the longest nerve that runs from your, your cranium down through your body. And it's all about getting your nervous system basically to calm down. So when you Mm -hmm. go through trauma, right, we got the fight, flight, fright, freeze, fawn. What are the... I say it a whole bunch of different ways. So I don't remember how I was just saying it just now. <laughs> Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Okay. I said I read that down. And so it's about bringing your state in your nervous system into a state of regulation, because when you're in this nervous system response of the four F's, then uh, I don't know if you, if you've heard this, I'm sure you have, but when your nervous system responds like that, other parts of your body literally shut down. Like one of the first things to shut down is digestion. So Mm -hmm. I find that women who have trauma tend to also carry extra weight because they're stuck in this fight mode or flight mode. And so their digestion isn't working the way that needs to. So we calm the nervous system down so that other parts of our body can start functioning more normally. And yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like an extreme stress response. Yes. Cortisol is flowing. The adrenaline's flowing and it just can't, we're not meant to stay like that. No, we're not meant to stay like that. Even animals in the wild, like a zebra, right? They go into that flight mode when they're being attacked, but as soon as it's over, then they're back to a state of regularity that, but for humans, we tend to stay in that heightened sense. Mm -hmm. So if you see this purple ball, that's my gorgeous ball. We do a lot of like massaging different points of our body with that breath work, different uh, sounding. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, this is so fascinating to me. I, I have not uh, experienced or learned about this before. So that's why I keep asking all these questions because I'm, this is really cool. Uh, so So if someone wants to work with you, uh, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you and uh, how would they do that? 
yeah, the best way is to go to my website. It's contessaaken.com. From there, you can connect with me socially. I have my email on there. There's free downloads. There's a blog with lots of resources that you can read and engage with. And no matter where you're at financially or emotionally, like you can get started on the process today. So lots of choices. So just spell that for our listeners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's Contessa, C-O-N-T-E-S-S-A, Aiken, A-K-I-N.com. Okay. And you also mentioned to me that you have a little special offer for our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, I wrote a book, right? It's called Rebel Rising, and it has my story, uh, kind of in a condensed version, but basically what you heard today. But then it also has the Phoenix process in there. So if you are ready to do something about it, but say financially, you're like, I can't pay anybody just yet, but you're, you know, you can handle it, then get the book. It's going to be in the show notes, right? Like, yes, it will. You can go ahead and start the process. Go ahead and start the timeline process, get your physical representation. It has a whole entire process in there. So you can get started on that. It really is for like that independent rebel soul who knows that they um, are ready to just start marching forward. And maybe they don't necessarily need a lot of extra support right now. Okay. That's now, if you are brand new to coaching or therapy, then it's not the best place to start. You can get the book and read my story, but the process may be a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. So just be aware of where you're at emotionally. And when you get the book, if you're ready for that or not, and typically people know, right. If you're reading it and you're absorbing it, you're ready. If you're reading it and like nothing's coming in, don't force it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So listeners that will be in the show notes, there'll be a special link for you because you listen to Unbreakable Spirit and you can get the book and get started on your own healing journey. And then you can reach out to Contessa if you're ready for for that book. It also comes with strings attached, right? You don't have to give me an email or or nothing. You just get an instant download, click on the link and it's yours. So well, what a, what a great gift that you are giving everyone. That's awesome. Great way to show people that they can be safe Mm, and and their safety and being able to click on a link without having to give out too much information. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Contessa, I just can't thank you enough. This has been such an enlightening and interesting, fascinating conversation. (laughs) And I, I'm so sorry you had to go through all of that, but as, as we love to talk about on this, this show is that we do go through these really difficult, difficult things, but that there is a way to get to the other side. So just, you know, it's an inspiration. You're inspirational. So thank you. Thank you you for joining us on Unbreakable Spirit. To learn more about Jennifer and her holistic weight loss approach, visit her website at sevencompany.com. That's the number seven company.com. And please join us for our next episode where we'll hear from more women who overcame hardship and learned how to thrive.